0: Tonight is study number 21 of Revelation chapter 18, and we're going to be reading Revelation 18 and verses 8 through 10. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off, for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And I'll stop reading there. Now uh, we were discussing the first part of verse eight, that her plagues, Babylon's plagues, would come in one day Death, mourning, or sorrow, and famine. And we saw how God has brought this to pass beginning on May 21, 2011, when He brought the world into the condition of death or hell and uh, into a desolate condition. And also a spiritual famine began at that time. And Actually, we would expect there to be a famine because when we review God's times and seasons over the course of history, we we found that um, there would be a fruitful season followed by famine. And so there was a fruitful season of the early righteous reign that was in the Old Testament that produced the crop or harvest of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then during Christ's three-and-a-half-year ministry, there was, for all intents and purposes, a famine as as um, he preached faithfully, and yet very few people became saved. And then following that famine was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the uh, evangelization of the world during the church age. And, and so it was a fruitful season for the 1955 years of the church age, followed by the end of the church age in 1988, and the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and 2,300 evening mornings wherein virtually no one was being saved, a time of famine. For the church and the world, and then, following the twenty-three hundred evening mornings, the second part of the great tribulation, and uh, came and and the outpouring of the latter rain, in which God saved the the great multitude who would be the final fruit coming in, and and so the pattern is rain, followed by uh, fruit, followed by famine, rain, fruit. Famine. And so we would expect that, uh, following the rain of the latter rain, the fruit of the great multitude, the next step in the progression of God's times and seasons would be famine. And that's what happened on May 21, 2011, judgment day of famine. A final famine was brought to pass as there is no more rain, no more fruit, no more to be saved. Judgment Day itself is likened to a period of famine. Well, then it goes on to say at the end of verse 8, And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And, of course, God is strong. He is almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God. He can speak a word and create a universe. He can... Speak a word and, and he can uh, save a sinner the same way through his word, the Bible. God is powerful. His word is powerful. And all God has to do is speak the word and the door of heaven shuts. And that's what he did. Or speak the word and the gospel light that enlightened the world is put out. At exactly the time he speaks, and that's what he did. Or he can roll up the scroll of his word, as it were, and close the book, the Bible, so that none will be illuminated. The the light of his word will no longer create new hearts, and that's what he did when he began judgment day. He is... The, uh, a strong God certainly capable of bringing to pass a spiritual judgment, first of all, on the churches and congregations of the world and doing away with them and their service so that they no longer were his people. And he saved no one within the, the church, the corporate church, for the 23 years of the Great Tribulation. And then God is strong and powerful enough to end his salvation program on the whole earth and the whole world. And it is it is all done through his will, his purpose, and according to his power. But what about the first part of this statement at the end of verse 8? And she shall be utterly burned with fire. Well, the two English words, utterly burned, are a translation of a Greek word, Strong's number 2618, that's found in some significant places. For instance, in Matthew 13, verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, the word burn is the same word, so it could be read or understood as utterly burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And also in Matthew 13, in verse 40, when Jesus explains the parable, he says, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned, were utterly burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world, or the end of the age. And also in Luke Chapter 3, the same Greek word is used in verses 16 and 17. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, or barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. So, utterly burn with fire unquenchable. And notice in Matthew 13 and here in Luke 3, it it is harvest time. Uh, the, The end of the world is likened to a harvest. And the tares or the chaff, which would both represent the unsaved, are utterly burned and we, we do not have to understand that to be a literal burning at this time uh, because a fire was kindled in God's anger at the beginning of judgment day again, which began on May 21, 2011, but it was a spiritual fire that began to burn and has continued to burn up until today and throughout this entire time on the very Last day of the prolonged period of Judgment Day, there will be a literal fire that God will burn the universe, the world, and all the unsaved inhabitants, completely burn them up or utterly burn them in annihilation and destroy them with fire forevermore. And so uh, the tares are burned and the chaff is being spiritually burned but will be literally destroyed by fire at that time. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 we've read this many times but God here speaks of the day of judgment trying the work of those that have heard the gospel to see if they are truly saved or not and he says in verse 13 Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, and that's the word from uh, Revelation, utterly burned, if any man's work shall be utterly burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, if we're correct, and October 7th, 2015 is the last day, then that day will be the final day of the spiritual fire that has been burning, and it will be the day of the actual, literal fire That will burn up the, this creation and all of the unsaved. And, and so it is possible for someone to once again perhaps identify themselves with the true gospel just as people did prior to May 21 and, and uh, they were not saved and many of them were shaken loose after May 21, 2011 came and God did bring to pass the spiritual judgment and so many went back at that point. Others stayed until October 21 and, and they wanted to wait that out. But then when that didn't happen, it was further shaking and they went back. And, and so we have continued on into these years of judgment day and I I don't think any of us should think, well, because we're continuing to follow the Bible's teaching or continuing uh, to just give a scent of some kind towards it, that that in itself means we're enduring the fire. Ultimately, of course, it's evidence towards enduring the fire, and it's evidence we uh, may be gold, silver, precious stones, But ultimately, to endure the fire, we must endure that last day. When God literally burns up the world and literally burns up all of the unsaved, it finally, it is only the elect that will come shining through as the gold, silver, precious stones, and will have endured to the end. That is, uh, absolutely necessary and and God is the only one who can bring his people to that point. Well, let's just look at one other place where this word is used in second Peter chapter three, we've mentioned God utterly burning the world and this is the passage that describes that second Peter three it says in verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up or utterly burned. And again, this is speaking of the annihilation of the creation, the fallen creation and the annihilation of fallen men, as God will utterly destroy mankind. And so this, this language of being utterly burned fits in very well with the idea of annihilation. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. All right, let's go on to verse 9 of Revelation chapter 18. And it says, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her. Now, remember back in Revelation 17 that a similar statement was made in verse 2 regarding Babylon, uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, we saw there that God was making a distinction between the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. That the kings of the earth were were a phrase or its language that identifies with those that profess to be Christians, and the inhabitants of the earth would be the unsaved outside of the church in the world. And And so in Revelation 18, yes, the kings of the earth they have relationship to the corporate church but god also speaks of the merchants of the earth and the mariners and and that they also are all witnessing the destruction of babylon and and lamenting it weeping over it and uh, and crying out alas alas which is a translation of the same word that is translated as woe, woe. Actually, in Revelation 8, in verse 13, the last verse of that chapter, it says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And those three woes identify with the last three trumpets. Well, here in Revelation 18, we find alas, alas, or woe, woe, repeated three times. It's in verse 10, it's in verse 16, and it's in verse 19, and so it's a doubling of three woes, and just as Babylon is fallen, is fallen, woe, woe to Babylon, to Babylon, is the idea, and these uh, doubled three woes, the total six, identify with the three woes of the final three trumpets that identify with the judgment on the world. The first four trumpets in Revelation 8 identified with the judgment on the church. But now God, in the fall of Babylon, is describing his awful wrath that is falling upon Satan and his kingdom, the Gentiles, the nations of the world, which includes the church. And just just keep in mind, when a king would conquer a land. For instance, when the king of Babylon conquered Judah, then Judah became a province of Babylon. One of many provinces, as the Babylonians conquered many lands. And so Judah became a part of the overall kingdom of Babylon. Historically, spiritually, Satan, who ruled the nations because it was given to him by right of conquest in the Garden of Eden, he ruled the unsaved of the world in the nations. When God turned over to him the corporate church at the point of his loosing and the end of the church age, the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and God made Satan ruler and he took his seat, As the man of sin, seated in the temple, then the church became a part of Babylon and just another province, another arm of Babylon. Satan still ruled the nations, and now he ruled the church as well. And so, uh, the churches and congregations of the world are a part of Babylon because Satan overcame them and defeated them, and as any king would defeat a land, that land becomes part of the conquering king's kingdom. And and that's what happened with the corporate church. So the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, that is, the churches and the congregations who have been involved in spiritual fornication with Babylon, and that's the only way to describe what has happened to the church. When we look at the church's doctrines, when we see that they're uh, falling for lies and falsehoods and deceitful things, well, that's what the world is involved with. That's what Satan is father of. And so... The church committed fornication with the world, uh, or we can we can look at the philosophy, the methodology churches are using today to get people into their congregations. They're they're using um, business formats, or or they're trying to find the way the world motivates people uh, through commercialism to uh, sort of buy. The merchandise that the church is selling and 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 they're becoming just like the world, actually, they are just like the world. they are a part of Babylon. Uh, look at the music that the churches have gone after the rock and roll, even heavy metal if you didn't hear the lyrics and sometimes you can't, you would think that oh, this is a a station like any other station because it sounds just like the world's music. And that's not accidental. No, God's kingdom has always had a music set apart, a music that was um, excellent for meditation and contemplation of the greatness and grandeur of God and his word. And, and now there is the music of the world. And it is because the church has committed spiritual fornication with the world. Well, we we don't need to get into all that. Uh, you know, God is focused on judgment on the world, including the churches and congregations of the world. The, the judgment is on all of the unsaved. And even though some people, they want to just consistently focus on judgment on the church. Every verse they see, oh, here God is talking about the judgment on the church. It's true. There is a a lot of scripture where God does identify and, and zero in on the judgment on his people, the corporate church. But when when people are going to scriptures that identify with the end of the world and judgment day on mankind and they try to turn them and, and, uh, relate them to judgment on the church. No, no. Uh, it, it, they're trying to do exactly what the churches did when information was, was brought up from the Bible indicating that God would indeed give up and turn over the church to Satan. Well, they, they tried to avoid that and, and escape the condemnation of the Word of God. And that's exactly what some are doing today. They want to avoid the judgment on the world because they're in the world. They're out there, outside of the churches. And it's it's far easier uh, for them uh, to point the finger over at the church. and, And there is where the fire is burning. Well, no, no, the fire is burning in the aisles. Uh, Remember that statement in Isaiah chapter 24, that terrible chapter, um, that awesome chapter in which God goes into tremendous detail describing the final judgment of the world. And then he says in one verse in Isaiah 24, verse 15, Wherefore glorify ye Jehovah in the fires, even the name of Jehovah God of Israel in the isles of the sea. The isles are islands, and, and that is exactly what continents are. Continents are very large islands. And, and when God speaks of the fires, he says, Glorify Jehovah in the fires. And then with Hebrew parallelism, we would expect the second statement to restate the first part yet with different words, and that's what he does. He says, even the name of Jehovah God of Israel in the isles of the sea, because that's where the fires are. It's in the continents, and the continents are where all the people are, and therefore it's the world. The whole world is burning, utterly burning. Babylon is burning, and God's people are in the fires, Of the world, we're still on the earth going through these days of judgment, therefore we're called upon to glorify Jehovah through these very trying and difficult times. And yet some, again, they refuse that, oh no, the judgment isn't, isn't where they are. Now they, now why would they point it over there? Well, family, friends, Um, actually, it just comes down to not having eyes to see. God has to give us spiritual eyes. He has to open up our eyes to see the truth of His Word. All right, going back to verse 9 of Revelation 18, And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning. And we wonder... Now, Babylon is the judgment of the world. The kings of the earth can point to the professed Christians. But it's the same language when we get to the merchants of the earth. Down in verse 11, they also weep and mourn over her. And they also are crying, Woe, woe, that great city, as though they are witnessing the burning, the destruction of Babylon. And likewise with the mariners or the shipmen they too uh, are crying woe woe and uh, and weeping and wailing and and so forth as though they can see it now what is going on here because we we know since we've gone so far into this period of judgment that many people are not even aware that anything uh, uh like a judgment day has taken place let alone be wailing and crying and 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 uh beseeching woe woe or crying out woe woe we we just don't see that kind of activity so we have to wonder well how does this fit in what way are the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth and the ship masters uh, um, in what way can it be said that they are witnessing the destruction of the world, Babylon, and weeping over it when we don't see that at all taking place in the world or even in the church? We we definitely don't see the church, the professed Christians, crying that God has, has brought judgment on the world. No, we, we don't see any of that. Well, what are our options? First option is that it's spiritual language in which God has something else in view. That is, it's not that the people of the world will actually see these things, but this language points to a biblical truth. Secondly, is it possible that at the very end of the time, maybe the very last day, October 7th, perhaps, that that the world will then uh, realize what is happening and be crying and weeping and so forth. No, the second option is not an option. That's not going to happen. So we, we want to take a closer look at the first option when we get together in our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for E Bible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies.